I might just tell you a story today. Is that okay? I might just, we're just going to, uh, it's a biblical story, well known to some. But um, I just, I feel like the Lord would want us to speak from this story and just, uh, I may allow the Holy Ghost to speak to you. Amen. I feel like there's a, th- a theme with our trauma reboot today and the song and what I feel to preach. I believe there's a theme of the spirit that is happening today, and I just want to be sensitive to that. Very simply today, I, I-, I just want to speak on this sh- subject, the miracle at the well. The miracle at the well. Amen. Amen. Just turn to two or three, shake their hand, and just tell them the miracle at the well. Somebody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Just stay with me now. I just want to need your minds a little bit here today and, and uh, just be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. When you consider all of the important and the necessary truths that Jesus needed to share, be it with his family, be it with his friends, maybe more specifically with his disciples, with his followers, while he was here on earth. When think, Just think with me for a moment of all of the truths that he needed to disseminate to those that he was going to be leaving behind as he ascended up into heaven. You, you might would think that his longest recorded conversation as far as a give, a give and take, a back and forth conversation, not necessarily him in front of a crowd just giving a discourse, that's not a conversation, but his longest recorded conversation with another individual, you might would think that it was with Mary, his mother, or you might would think it was with Peter, or James, and John, the, the, the three that were kind of in his inner circle. You might, you might would think it was with John the Baptist. You might would think it was with one of these individuals. And yet that's not what the Bible relays to us. For the longest recorded conversation that Christ has with another individual was not his family, was not his disciples, was not his family members, but rather it was with a woman whose belief was in total contradiction to what Jesus believed and with what Jesus taught and with who Jesus was. Now stay with me now. We pick up the start of this conversation in the gospel according to John. John chapter 4 and verse 3. The Bible says, he, speaking of Jesus, he left Judea and he departed again unto Galilee. And then he says this, and he must needs go through Samaria. Now, he didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have went around Samaria, which is what everybody else did, because No Jew would want to enter into Samaritan territory. We're going to get to that in a minute, minute, but he needed to go to Samaria. Verse 5, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. So here's this well. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, he sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day, which would have been about noon, the hottest part of the day. And the Bible says that there cometh, verse 7, a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. And thus began the longest conversation that Jesus has with anybody in Scripture. 
For the woman responded back to Jesus by saying this, John 4 and 9, Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, first off, we need to understand that it was completely against Jewish law and tradition for a man to speak privately with a woman in public. I know this is necessarily not our custom, but in this day, it, was, it went against moral law. It went against tradition. In fact, they taught specifically for a, like a rabbi or a spiritual man, uh, they taught that if he were to see his own wife out on the street, that he was not to stop and talk with her because other people might not know she's his wife and it may look very poorly on him that he's talking privately with a woman. It would defile the law. It would defile their teachings and their traditions. And yet, here we find Jesus breaking the law, breaking the tradition in order to talk to this woman. But not only was she a woman, she was a Samaritan. And what we need to know is that by the time Jesus meets the woman at the well here in our story, the enmity between Jew and Samaritan by this point is ancient. It is entrenched. It is so very bitter. The animosity between the Jews And the Samaritans, these two groups of people disagreed about everything that mattered. How to honor God, they disagreed. How to interpret scripture, they disagreed. How and where to worship, they disagreed. They they practiced their faith in different temples. They read different versions of the Torah. They avoided social contact with one another, if at all possible. They hated one another. There was a deep and abiding hatred the Jews had for the Samaritans and that the Samaritans had for the Jews. So she was a woman, she was a Samaritan, and Jesus does not care. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. So the conversation continues. John 4 and 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given to you living water. So now we see, you got to get this. We see now that this meeting was more than just chance. This meeting was more than just coincidence. Now we see why Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. I have an appointment to keep. It was not just the fact that he's sitting at the well and he looks up, oh, there happens to be a woman coming by. I'll maybe strike up a conversation. No, he knew she was going to be there. He had planned her for, to be there. He had already established this meeting to happen at the well. For when Jesus said that he must go through Samaria, he had this woman, he had this Samaritan, he had this meeting, he had this conversation in mind. For this meeting was a lot more than just about somebody pulling some water out of a well so that they can give Jesus something to drink because he was thirsty was bigger than that. It was more than that. That's just what he used to open the conversation. But the whole purpose of this meeting, the whole reason he divinely orchestrated their paths to cross at this moment in time was because of Christ's intention to share with her concerning who he was as the living water. Ooh, hallelujah. Now, 
you have to understand, we know Jesus to be the Messiah. We've got a Bible. We've got the New Testament. We've got experience. This is the first time this lady is hearing this. And so he's telling her, I'm not talking about real water, lady. I'm talking about me being living water. (sighs) But she's not understanding. And let's not give her a hard time for that because we didn't understand everything right at first either. She doesn't understand what Jesus is trying to tell her. I think personally she's still feeling some resentment. I mean, the conversation's only a few minutes old. And you're a man talking to me. You're not supposed to be doing this. Why are you doing this? Who are you? What do you want? Not only that, but you're a Jew. I don't like Jews. You don't like me. What's going on here? Right? So she's... Potentially has some resentment, some, some feelings, some questions, some concerns about what's going on here. So in somewhat of a sarcastic tone, she responds by saying this. Jesus says, hey, you drink the living water, you'll never thirst again. And she responds, John 4, 15. The woman saith unto him, now you gotta, you gotta hear it in a sarcastic tone. Sir... Give me this water that I thirst not so I don't ever have to come back to this well again and get water. I come out here every day in the hot sun. I carry these pictures on my shoulder. I come out here, okay, sure, give me a water that I can drink of one time and I don't have to come back to this well for the rest of my life. Sure, Jesus, yeah, whatever you say, give me that water. She still thinks Jesus is trying to convince her that there is a type of natural water that she could drink from and never physically get thirsty again even though she knows that's not a reality. And so she condescendingly, sarcastically asks Jesus, yeah, I don't want to trudge up here all the time and get water. Go ahead and give this to me, Jesus. So Jesus responds back to her condescending part of the conversation and Jesus says now here we go verse 16 John 4 16 is everybody okay John 4 16 Jesus saith unto her he doesn't even respond to the condescending thing he doesn't even respond he just says okay here let's do this why don't you go and call your husband and then come hither again and I'll talk to you both about all this stuff and the woman answered and said I have no husband. Jesus saith unto her, you have well said. Thank you for your honesty. You have well said you have no husband. Then he says this, verse 18. For you have had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast, the guy you're now living with, isn't even your husband. In that sayest thou truly. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being transparent with your life, with your story. The woman saith unto him, now all of a sudden you got to understand, up until this point it's just some guy at the well talking about water. Now all of a sudden this guy knows everything about her. This guy speaks into her life her story. Are you with me? Now, now we are getting to the heart of this woman. Now we're getting to who she really is. Now here's the deal, and I'm I'm just being a little transparent with you right now. For several days now, I have wrestled with this story. And I hope to be able to expound to you for why I've been wrestling with this. But there's many things that I've been wrestling with, not the least of which is this. I have taught, and it's not necessarily wrong, it could absolutely be true, but I've always taught that she was most likely an adulteress. 
that had caused her previous husbands to divorce her because of possibly some sexual impropriety on her part. Right? The problem with that belief is that according to both Jewish and Samaritan law, a woman who was caught in adultery was not divorced. She was stoned to death. Remember the story, the woman caught in adultery, they bring her up, got up, got the stone. And he says, he, he said, he's not saying you shouldn't stone her. He's like, yeah, that's the law. That's what you should do. So he that without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. You stoning her isn't wrong. What's wrong is you've got junk in your own life. But he wasn't condemning the law for what the law was supposed to do. So if adultery or sexual impropriety was her issue, why wasn't she put to death after committing adultery on her first husband? We we can also view her as being possibly a woman who didn't want commitment. She, she simply wanted to jump from partner to partner, from husband to husband in an attempt to appease her own physical desires or maybe, maybe she wanted uh, to only marry these men to get their wealth and then divorce them and run off and get the second guy and get his wealth and divorce him and go get the third guy and divorce him and get his money which would obviously portray this woman in a very bad light, right? That's not a very nice lady to do those things. The problem with that belief is that during that time, a woman could not divorce a man. Legally in that day, the man was the only one that could divorce the woman. The woman could not divorce the man. So she could not have done those things for those reasons. Hear me, just hear me. We don't know what the story is for why she had five husbands. Jesus doesn't tell us. The story doesn't tell us. Could it have been that she had five husbands and they all died? got sick, they had all those battles, fights, husbands going off to war, dying, remarrying, some of them getting sick, dying. Could it be that this woman had to go to five different funeral services of men to whom she had been married to? Could it possibly be, just think with me for a little bit today, could it possibly be that because in that day and time when you study this out, you, you'll find that men could divorce women for any reason at all. For the littlest of reasons, a man could divorce a woman. Could it possibly be that she had had five husbands that divorced her just because there was something about her they didn't like? What if she couldn't have children? That was a pretty big deal back then. And a man wanted his name to be passed on to the next generation, but he finds out his wife can't have children, and so he divorces her. So now not only is she reeling from that which her body cannot produce and and that which is uh, the weight of that, but now on top of all of that, Her husband, whom she very possibly loved, has said, you get out of the house, I'm divorcing you because of something you can't even control. What if she was disabled in some way and they were like, just get out of here. I thought I could handle this. I thought I could deal with your disability, but it's just too much. I don't want to deal with it. I'm divorcing you. Maybe the husband found another woman that came from a wealthier family and said, you know what? If I divorce you and I get married to her, I can get a whole lot more wealth. So see ya. 
Let me get this woman. I don't know. And neither do you. Because the Bible doesn't tell us. It is interesting to me, though, why we jump to that. But pastor, that may be true about her previous husbands, but, but what about the fact that Jesus says that the man she is currently with is not even her husband? And yes, please don't get me wrong. It is very possible. It could be very possible that after five husbands, she was now living in an adulterous affair. But we don't know that for sure. And you want to know one of the reasons why we don't know that for sure is that because for no other reason than the fact that in this conversation, we never find Jesus telling her that what she was doing was wrong. Come on, somebody. What did he tell the woman caught in adultery? They stand around, they put all their stones away, and they all leave, and he turns and he turns to the lady, and he says what? Go and... It's a sin. It's wrong. I'm, I'm having mercy on you. I'm giving you grace. I'm, I am redeeming you, but it's still wrong. Go and sin no more. But he doesn't say that to this lady. Just... just in that day and time, it was very common for a, for a man to have more than one wife. With only his first wife being legally considered the wife. With the rights and the, and the legalities that came with it. But he could have multiple wives. Therefore, a second wife would still be socially and more importantly, religiously accepted as a wife, but she could not have any legal rights or privileges that came with being the wife. Am I making any sense right now? Scripture, you say, well, I don't know about that. Scripture illustrates this to us when it says this, Genesis 16 and 3, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptians, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his what? Sarah was his first wife that had all the legal rights of a wife. But then Abraham also took to himself a second wife by the name of Hagar. Hagar wouldn't have been breaking any moral code by being Abraham's second wife, but she wouldn't have been viewed at, by any as being truly Abraham's wife. So could it just be that this woman in John 4 found herself in a similar circumstance? We don't know, but it could have been where she was living with a man but would not have been technically his wife. I don't know that that's not the case. I don't know that it is the case. All I'm saying is why do we jump in our minds from this text to her being some adulterous individual? I'm just saying that according to what we see in Scripture, this woman at the well, hear me please, don't leave this place saying I said something that I didn't say. According to what we see in Scripture, she absolutely could have been living in sinful adultery. Or she could have been the second wife of someone and therefore legally not considered to be the wife. We don't know. We don't know. I guess, I guess what I would try to help us to understand is this. We don't need to make someone's story worse according to what we would consider to be worse 
in order to make God's grace look better. <laughs> she has a story to be sure. She had, and we're going to get into some. She's got issues to be sure, but whatever her issues are is what her issues are. And the mercy and the grace of God was great enough to minister to her and help her and redeem her and restore her. Listen, we don't have to make the story worse to make His grace better. So we don't know. So who was this? Woman, really? What was truly this woman's story? I don't know. I don't know. You don't know. But what I do know is this. Here's what I do know. Whatever it was, it was a story filled with hurt, pain, loss, tears, and suffering. If she was an adulteress and if she somehow had escaped the penalty of death for being an adulteress, she was still no doubt tormented by the shame, the guilt, the suffering that would have no doubt accompanied the memories of her wrong actions, her sinful deeds. If she would have had five husbands and had not committed adultery on any of them, but they had all simply died, or if she would have had five husbands that had rejected her because of her lack of fertility or because of a disability or simply because they wanted some other woman other than her, can you imagine her shattered self-esteem? Can you imagine the pain of rejection that this woman had to live with every single day of her life? I wasn't good enough for him. I wasn't good enough for him. He didn't want me. He threw me away. And I got to live with that every day of my life. Doesn't really matter. Can you imagine her loss of self-worth? Dignity as a woman. Doesn't really matter if she had brought it upon herself by her sinful and adulterous actions or if other people had brought it upon her because of what they did to her. Either way, it has brought her to a very Low, tearful, painful moment in time. The fact remains that even though from this text we cannot know exactly for sure what she had faced or exactly what she had endured in her yesterdays, we can know. This is what we can know. Her life had been filled with and still was filled with pain, and tears, and suffering, and shame. Which, which, many believe is the cause that made her draw water from the well at the hottest part of the day. Because all of the other women, women would have drawn water out in the cool of the morning. But it's very possible that she was too ashamed to be around the other women. Their husbands love them. Come on, Jesus. Look how happy they look. They haven't been put aside. They haven't been rejected. They still have their husbands. My died. Whatever it was. She saw in them something that caused her self-worth, her self-dignity. Her peace to off be gone. Too ashamed, too ashamed to be around others. Her story 
and her past and her yesterdays had, hear me in the Holy Ghost, had so negatively affected her and had so negatively influenced her that she did not even feel worthy to be around other women who believed she believed had it all together. So she would quietly, almost secretly, draw out her water at a time when she knew no one else would be around. She hoped to go and to come and to go undetected, carrying out in isolation whatever trauma, whatever wound, whatever sin, whatever fear, whatever desperation her complicated history had left her with. For it didn't matter that the others might not know her story enough to judge her or condemn her. She knew enough about herself. She didn't need other people to judge her because she was doing a really good job all by herself. She didn't need other people to condemn her. She was doing a good job condemning herself when she looks back upon her story, when she looks back upon her life. She's filled with it all. But then Jesus, in this part of her life, comes along and sees her. Other people just see a facsimile of her. Other people just see the outwardness of her. Other people just see the facade of her. Other people just see her ducking her head and silently moving and closing up herself in and around everybody else. But Jesus saw her. He sees the whole of her. He sees the past. He sees the present. But he also sees the future. He sees who she has been. He sees what she has yearned for. He sees how she has hurt. He sees all that she will become. And he begins to talk to her and he names it all. We don't have the fullness of the conversation. It would have been much longer. We only find that he says, uh, go get your husband. She says, I have, uh, you, you've had five and the one you're with now isn't your husband. That's all that he says about her life. But commentaries tell us that he, there must have been much more to that conversation. Because when she goes back, which we'll tell you in a minute, when she goes back into the city to tell everybody of what just took place, she says, come see a man who told me, all I've ever done. So he speaks to her and he speaks to her about all of her hurt and he speaks to her about all of her shame and he speaks to her about all of her sin and about all of her wrong and he speaks to her about her past and her present and her future and he names it all. Listen, he names it all without shaming her. Or condemning her. Now listen, I got a little revelation because I always thought the disciples, Jesus sent the disciples to go to the city to get food. Which he did. But he comes, they come back and they're like, hey, I got food. And he said, I don't need your food. I got food that you don't know not of. Why possibly could it have been that Jesus sent the disciples into the city? Could it have been because he cared so much for this woman and he loved this woman so much and he knew he was about to share openly to her every mistake, every failure, and every wrong she had ever done in a loving way. He said, I don't want the disciples here so that in order to be an embarrassment to this woman. Boys, you go on ahead. You go buy some food. Gives them a little errand to run on so that they would be gone, so that this woman would not be embarrassed. That sounds a little bit like my Jesus. Ooh, come on, somebody. 
Because he's not here to shame us. And he's not here to guilt us. And he's not here to condemn us for our failures and our faults. And he's not here to express it to the entire world of what we've done wrong and who we are and the failures of our past. No, it is something between him and me. It is a personal thing between me and the God of all creation. And he comes to where I am. And yes, he has to bring it up. And yes, we got to deal with it. And yes, we got to get it out to the open because what we hide, God can't heal. But when we get it out to where it is, he does it in a loving way. He does it in a loving manner. Come on, is there anybody thankful for the grace of Almighty God? Is there anybody thankful for the love of Jesus Christ? (laughs) He does not make her feel judged but loved, not exposed, but shielded, not diminished, but restored. He does not shy away from the painful, ugly, broken stuff in her life. He talks about that. And I'm thankful that he does. You see, because sometimes with one another, we don't really deal with the true issues of the heart because we know that's a very sensitive issue. Let's stay away from that issue. But it is the sensitive issue of the heart that causes the person to have the greatest pain in their life. Am I right? And so it is that when God deals with us, I'm so thankful that he does not just overlook things. I'm so thankful that he does not Refuse to bring something up because of how it will affect us. You and I, we don't bring stuff up to one another because it might bring somebody to tears. So we shy away from it. But Jesus says, the reason you're crying is because of that thing. But if you'll let me fix the thing you'll stop crying about it. Come on. And so what does he do? This is, come on, Jesus. This is when he begins to go into the deepest inner recesses of our life and he begins to pull things out. You, you have suppressed this for too long. You have hidden this for too long. You have ignored this For too long. You thought if you just didn't talk about it. You thought if you just ignored it. You thought if you just never brought it up. You thought if you just pushed it out of your mind. The moment that it came to your mind. You thought you were better. And the fact that you could go a few months without thinking about it, if the fact that you could go a few months without dealing with it and without it affecting you the way it used to, you feel like healing has been happening in your life, but that's just not true. And so Jesus comes to where we are, and he says, listen, I, I know this is going to be painful for you, but it's only going to be painful because it's there. But if you'll let me take it from there, it, listen, it will be painful for a moment, but it will be healed forever. Yeah, in this moment, I know you've got to express some things. I know in this moment, you've got to get open and honest and transparent about some things. I know you've got to say, this is what happened to me. This is what was done to me. This is the hurt that happened in my life. This is the wrong. This is the sin. This is the failure. This is the condemnation that comes with it all. I've got so much baggage. I know it's difficult sometimes to express those things to the Lord but it is him drawing those things from us, those painful things, those hurtful things, those condemning things, those fearful things. He told me all, all that I ever did. But you have to understand, when she said that, it was not, he told me all that I ever did. 
It was, he told me all. Do you see the difference? Because it was not condemning. It was not condemning. It was merciful. It was healing. He didn't shy away from it. Let's name what's real. Let's, let's say what really is. I mean, we can come to church for years and never truly say what really is. I mean, no, you can talk in tongues and dance and shout and rejoice and place an instrument or sing on a praise team or be involved in ministry and never truly say. Jesus is helping us right now. Never truly get real and open and honest about what really is. And so Jesus said, hey, go call your husband. He knew. What was he doing? He was wanting to see, will she get honest? Because we can sit and have conversation with Jesus all day long, but if we're never honest, if we don't get transparent about who we are, if we don't get real and allow him to begin to speak what really is in our lives, Jesus Jesus, you can talk to me about this. Come on, Holy Ghost. You can talk to me about this, and you can talk to me about this, and you can talk to me about this. But this is off limits. And this is off limits. And don't dare bring that up. Because I can serve you just fine over here. And I can be saved, and I can go to heaven with this. Don't talk about this to me. And so what do we do? What do we do? We limp. We limp. We can walk, but we limp. Through our Christian life. And we never accomplish what we were meant to accomplish. And we never do what we were meant to do. And we never walk in the fullness of what God had for us to walk in. Why? Because when it came time for us to get honest and allow him to pull from us that which was hindering us the greatest, we said that is off limits. So we need to be like the woman in this story and allow Jesus to just say, hey, can I talk to you about what really is? Can I tell you about all that you are? Come see a man that said, told me all that I ever did. Can I, can I tell you? Can I share with you? Not for a condemning purpose. Not for a condemning for purpose. But for a healing purpose. Can we get this thing into the open? Why? Because I see you for who you are. Does anybody feel the Holy Ghost talking to us right now? It's getting a little quiet and that's fine. Here we go. Listen. We are so good if we want to be. We can become so good at putting on facades. Come on, somebody. We are so good at portraying to others who we want them to believe we are. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Something deep is happening in this room right now. I'm going to ask that you refrain from talking to anybody in this room. You just listen to me. Don't talk, just listen. Because we are really good at portraying ourselves as something that we are not. Even in services like this, 
How many know we can clap? We can sing. We can do everything outwardly that we know we are supposed to do. But it all is just a facade. It's just an outwardness. Because inwardly, we are not that at all. Inwardly, we got all kinds of junk. We got all kinds of issues. We got all kinds of stuff that's there. And what the Holy Ghost is wanting to do in this room today is he's trying to help somebody to get to a place where you decide, I'm sick and tired of putting on a facade and to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. Because I don't have to do that. Because he's not going to hurt me. Why do we put on a facade? Because we do so because we think people are going to hurt us because of our issues and hurt us because of our failures and they're going to in some way bring hurt and pain into our lives by their judgmental attitudes. I'm here to tell you, this is why it is a personal thing between you and God and he's not going to hurt you. So you do not have to be afraid to open yourself up and get real and honest with Jesus. I see you for who you really are. And guess what? I still love you. Now I want you to see me for who I am the Messiah. Come on, I see you for who you are. Now I want you to see me for who I am. And so it is. Come on, Jesus. And so it is that after he has this conversation, Jesus chooses to use this woman in a mighty way, in a mighty way. The Bible says this is what she does, and whatever everybody's doing right now is perfectly fine if you're following the leading of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says this is what she does. John 4 and 28, this is after the conversation. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and they came to him. So this first group of people left and they went out to where Jesus was because of what this woman said, which then led to this, John 4, 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said. We're thankful, but now we believe, not because of your words, but because we have heard him for ourselves. And we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Notice, a tremendous revival and a tremendous harvest of souls came about in that city because of the witness and the life and the testimony of that one woman. This one woman who Jesus made a special trip just to go see. This one woman who Jesus saw fit to have the longest conversation in Scripture with. This one woman who at first, outside of his family and outside of his disciples, she was the first one that he ever claimed to be the Messiah to. And this, Pastor Ron, this is what I've wrestled with all week. Why did you pick this woman? In order, out of everybody else you could have chosen, why did you pick her? 
to bring about this harvest, to bring about this great revival, to bring about these souls. Jesus, why? What is it in this story? Why did you pick her? She's a woman, Jesus. Men aren't supposed to talk to women. She's a Samaritan, Jesus. Uh, Jewish men are not supposed to interact. We're not even supposed to set foot on Samaritan soil. And so I studied and I studied what was so special about this woman. What was so precious about this woman? What was so important about this woman? And I studied and I studied and I dissected this for the last several days and study and in my mind everything I could possibly look at and study in order to try to find out what it was about this particular woman that caused Jesus to want to use her. And I could not find any reason why. Then, Sister Vivian, God spoke to me, and he said this. The same reason you cannot find any logical, spiritual, or factual reason for why I chose to use this woman is the same reason why you can't find any logical, spiritual, or factual reason for why I can use you. I know a little bit about making mistakes too. And I think there's some people in this room who know a little bit about making some mistakes. And I think I'm not the only one in the room that knows what it feels like to have some shame and to have some guilt and to have some regrets and to have some failures in your life. Why, why did God choose Anthony? The pastor of this great church. I don't know. I have no idea why he chose me. Why do I get to stand in front of a pulpit and open the word of the Lord and preach this glorious gospel to hurting people? I know who I am. I know what I've done. I know the failures of my life. I don't deserve to stand here. But he chooses who he decides to choose. He picks who he wants to pick. Oh, Jesus. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. In church, out of church, love God. Maybe you don't even know much about God at all. Faithful to the house of God. Or maybe this is your first time here in several months. But here's what I do know and I'm almost done. God saw this day. And God saw this moment. And you can't see it, but there's wells. through all of your hurt and through all of your pain and through all of your yesterdays and through all of your failures and through all of your guilt and through all of your shame, whatever your story is, maybe some people don't even know your story and that's totally fine because he does. But before you were even formed in your mother's womb, he had already ordained your steps to meet him. Right here, or right there, or right there. Because he saw this day and he saw this moment. Oh, Jesus. And it is his will. 
to use you for the kingdom. And it is his will to use you for his purpose. And it is his will to use you for his plan on earth. And don't you dare exempt yourself from his purpose because of your yesterdays. Because here's what's going to happen today, or at least this is his will to happen today. He wants you to come up here and he wants you to bring all your yesterdays with you. And he wants you to bring the hurt of your yesterdays and the pain of your todays and the sorrow and all the issues of your life and all of the baggage and all the junk and all of the wrong. And he wants you to meet him. And he wants there to be a miracle at the well. And yes, he may and he will begin to deal with you about those things. But he's not doing it. He's not doing it to condemn you. And he's not doing it to just rehash painful memories to make you feel worse than when you came. He's doing it because when you get open and honest about what's really in your life, he's then able to take it from you and heal it. And like salve, he's able to minister to those wounds. And you'll always have a scar, but a scar tells a story. It doesn't cause pain. Oh, Jesus. And so you're going to have a story. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. What Jesus did for me. Stand to your feet and stand to your feet. Lift your hands all across this auditorium right now. Please, if you would. You don't have to. But if you want to, lift your hands all across this auditorium. Go ahead and lift your voice. Jesus, ha. God, everybody don't need to know my story. Everybody don't need to know the intricacies and the details of my story. Everybody don't need to understand it. Everybody don't need to have full knowledge of it. Because you do. Oh, God, you know my story. God, just like the woman at the well, we don't know her story fully. It could have been a lot of different things, but you know her story completely. For you told her everything that has been. So God, I pray right now in this house that you would begin to deal with hearts and minds on a very personal level, on a very real level for us to get open and honest with you because God, you have a purpose for our lives that is greater than what we've currently been doing. I pray healing. I pray healing in this house right now. I pray healing virtue to flood this house right now. I pray healing virtue to flood this room right now. Healing for the mind. Healing for the heart. I speak divine healing to sweep across this room right now. Come on, this altar's open. This altar's open. Come on, somebody respond to the presence of the Lord right now. Don't come down and bury your head in a position of guilt, in a position of shame, or a position of condemnation. Whenever we bury our heads and lower our heads and cover our faces, that is a sure sign that we feel condemnation. 
Come on, God has not given us that spirit of condemnation. Come on, somebody lift your head. Lift your hands. You say, well, I don't, you don't know what I've done. Come on, somebody, the blood of Jesus Christ can forgive all sin. I said the blood of Jesus Christ can forgive all sin. Come on, I'm going to ask everybody that would gather in around. Come on, gather around the altars. Come on. In the name of the Lord Jesus.